Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. Your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by one of the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Will Lomas. Matthias Wadner is currently in England on vacation. We will uh, look forward to getting him back when he returns, but as for now... It is just the two of us as we open this holiday season. It's Christmas Eve. Uh, Will, any any big uh, any big Christmas plans? I know you were saying that your family is is falling ill, or at least maybe heading in that direction. <laughs> yeah, uh, we we always have plans to do stuff with my wife's family around this time, and we kind of spread it out over the next three days. But my mother in law potentially has the flu, so which is just uh, we'll. we'll yeah, which is the worst at the worst time. So we're kind of hoping to avoid all that. And, that, you know, everybody's out getting checked now. And then I'll go check after this and we'll see kind of where we are. But, uh, I mean, so so far so good. So, I mean, if everybody comes back fine and healthy, we'll just keep doing the whole present things, get cousins and nephews and nieces and stuff all together and do that. But and if, and if not, other than that. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, if not, I'll be locked in a room watching game tape and trying to make sure I don't get the flu. You can follow the show on social media at No Nonsense Pod, both Twitter and Facebook. You can also subscribe to or follow the show on whatever platform you're using to listen for easier and quicker access to all of our new episodes. We're usually every Wednesday. We're doing Tuesday this week because of the holiday, of course. Uh, and if you're listening on iTunes, we'd love it if you'd leave us a rating and review. Today, we have a Titans loss to recap, and I think uh, our friend Paul Kuharski set this up very well. He tweeted after the game, this should be the easiest loss in the history of the Tennessee Titans franchise to move on from. Uh, I agree with that sentiment 100%. Yeah, it's almost like, and for a totally different reason, but it's almost like those Week 17 Houston Texans, you know, Colts games that the Titans used to be a part of back when yes. they went in two or three games a year it's like yeah like the, it sucks in the moment whatever you lose but like really what you're worried about is coming in the future like nobody's in the moment here everybody is especially as soon as the Jets game went final nobody in the stadium really cared other than Saints fans and we were just kind of along for the ride what did you think about the decision to not play Derrick Henry he's been nursing a hamstring injury for I would say probably three to four weeks now uh, last week he missed practice entirely, going back two weeks. Uh, three weeks ago he was in and out. They had been nursing it, as I said, for a while. Uh, but in this game that 
Yesterday's game only matters in a very obscure playoff scenario. They say, we're going to give Henry an extra week of rest. We're going to hope that the Jets win, which they did. And that way we have, instead of crippled Derrick Henry, we have the Derrick Henry to go against Houston. I thought it was genius. Yeah, it was It was definitely, I don't know. It's hard to say that it was a great move because you're going to hear the same kind of rhetoric and nonsense where they're like, we want to win every game and when we're out. The same thing the Texans are saying now. But at the same time, if you look at it critically, it, it was the right decision. Like, there's no way you play an 85% Derrick Henry and risk him going to 80% or staying at 85 for the most important game of the season instead of resting him and just getting 95% Derrick Henry. Like the, the difference is so the best way to think about it is ever since the long run in the Oakland game where he kind of like stopped running and just, uh, just kind of pulled up and decided Uh he was going to lay a hit and come out that, that guy has been what 80% Henry is like, he just doesn't have the same burst. He's, he's more of a fullback who can get you 15 yards than a dynamic running back who can get you 75 yards in a play. So that that's, that's what you had going into this week. I don't think, I mean, I think it mattered a ton because of who the backups are, but I mean, even if Derrick Henry was there, the reason the Titans lost the game had nothing to do with offense. So to your your point, I'll go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was, I was just going to say, so at the end of the day, like you would rather have the Jacksonville version of Derrick Henry once in the last two games than to have the Oakland version twice. Yeah, and, and to your point about this whole nonsense of, well, you know, this is the NFL. We care about winning every game. I thought that Vrabel did a good job at the podium yesterday, and a lot of players did a good job, too, of not giving us that. He was asked about the decision to uh, – to, to not play Derek, and his explanation was uh, it was a decision that we came to as an organization. You know, he didn't give some kind of coach speak about, you know, we're all about protecting our players and making sure everyone's healthy and available. No, he, he said this was a decision that we thought was best for our football team that we came to as an organization, which tells me that it wasn't a – confirms that it wasn't a, well, Henry wasn't good enough to go. It was a, we're going to rest Henry uh, for, for next week. And, and, you know, Tannehill said, you know, losing sucks. I don't like this. But at the same time, I mean, this isn't the one that counted. And Vrabel kind of said the same thing. I, I think it was Jim Wyatt said, you know, Mike, I know you don't like to lose, but what's it like to lose? And then sort of immediately know after seeing the result of that Jet-Steelers game that sort of the real game is next week. And Vrabel's like, yeah, you know, again, I, we hate losing. It sucks, but – we got to move on. We got a, a much bigger and, and and certainly important game to play. Last thing on on the Henry front, though, watching Dion Lewis be the back in charge of this Titans offense. Which, if you take away his long carry of seventeen yards, he averaged uh, three just over three and a half yards per carry. It reminded me of. Watching the Titans in weeks, one of those week 17 games you're talking about, Will, uh, after Mariota broke his leg and, and Matt Castle was leading the Titans offense, and you're just sitting there saying to yourself, you know, they might win this game, but there's just nothing there on offense. Uh, this team is sort of, I mean, they made some plays, don't get me wrong, and, and the receivers, I think, stepped up, especially Tajay, but they're not much without Derrick Henry. They're, a, they're an average team without him, and I think they have a chance to be a pretty good one with him. 
You know, I'll say this. I think Tannehill especially has shown that he can survive without Henry. I think that what he's done making guys like Tajay Sharp and A.J. Brown last week, like being able to just kind of find the open guy and get the ball to the playmakers, like he's done a job at that. I mean, Johnny Smith was really hot early before he had like a minor injury, and then he came out and kind of was never really the same or the focal point of the offense anymore. But I think that the offense as a whole is fine without Derrick Henry. I don't think they're 40-point capable like they are when Tannehill and Henry are both in there. But this has been – if you're Derrick Henry's agent, this has been the perfect situation for you because the team obviously recognizes how valuable you are. They sit you for a game, and you you know the game you don't play, the running game is – I mean, when I say they're getting what is given to them by the offensive line, it is – the kindest thing I can say because they left yards on the field from that. So, I mean, it's such a vast difference in Henry and everybody else on the roster. So, you know, you get that. And then you also get a chance to come in healthy in a dome with the, you know, needing a win and basically clinch a victory and, you know, a playoff berth for your team that, I mean, this this whole deal is going to make Henry more expensive, not less expensive. But it does show that he is a player with significant worth, even if he is a running back. You know, I, I uh, as you were talking, Will, I, I sort of my mind drifted to Deion Lewis and how just terrible I kind of am to him on here and on social media. And I thought to myself, there's no way this dude has not blocked me on Twitter. And I just checked, and I was right. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's tough because, you know, we were talking before uh, before the podcast started about how like all these players are such great athletes, and that when you watch them for sixteen weeks in a row, it's easy to forget kind of how dominant they would be compared to ninety nine percent of the world. But at the same time, like. There's only so many times you can watch a guy like stutter step at the line of scrimmage and get tackled for a loss or get one yard and then also know that you've got a different running back who can take that and turn it into a 60-yard gain and just not think that it's a bad decision to hand it to the first guy. So, you know, as as mean as we are, as you know, as much bad stuff as we say about the way Deion Lewis plays, it's not personal, it's just that's what the film shows. The one Lewis comment I regret making, because most of it is just factual, like he's not very good kind of stuff. I think I referred to him on an episode as a decrepit running back. I think that might have been a little too much. Now, I doubt Dion has heard that because I don't think he listens to our podcast. If he does, God bless him for making it through. I mean, all of yeah. our slander. Um, that that was that was unprofessional on, on my part to use that word. Um but I, I don't know. Anyway, moving on from Deion Lewis, because there's I – mean, I want to talk about literally anything else. Um, Will, you made the comment to me earlier today. We, we were messaging back and forth, and, and you said uh, – you went back and watched the game, and you were sort of under the impression after doing so that a lot of what the Titans were doing was to set things up for next week or try stuff out. Okay, take, take us through what you mean by that. 
Yeah, so Dean Pease is never really much of, much of a blitzer anyway. So I went back to kind of watch. this Initially, I went back and watched what the front seven did and how they tried to rush the passer. And I focused a lot on that. And there was a lot of four-man fronts and a lot of four-man rushes, whether they were dropping defensive tackles or edges or whatever. It ended up being four guys rushing the passer. But the more that I watched, the more that I realized a lot of what they were doing is they would line four or five guys up at the line of scrimmage, and then they would drop guys. But instead of dropping a guy all the way to his zone, it would be like Jayon Brown who'd walked up, and then all of a sudden he was just kind of floating there, which is weird when you're thinking about it's a rainy day, it's against a 40-year-old quarterback. There's probably not a great chance that if – Taysom Hill doesn't get the ball that there's going to be a quarterback scramble or at least a quarterback like actual run so why would you dedicate maybe your best coverage player or you know a Rashawn Evans or somebody like that why would you dedicate a box defender just to stop in Drew Brees and the only thing I can figure is that when they played the Texans the last not not this past week but the week before that they tried to run a lot of like quarterback spy and then some weird like two quarterback spy game stuff that I I don't really know what the the function of that was but I think that's the reason why we saw it this week is because I think they're trying to figure out how to get that down in case they do play a Deshaun Watson or if they get to the playoffs and they do play Josh Allen again or if they play Lamar Jackson to get that they want to get comfortable with trying to stop running quarterbacks while also keeping the back end solid and for a quarter, it worked. Now, when when a ball hits your it hits you in the hands and you don't get an interception, that happens two or three times, and offense just feels like there's no downside to them testing you in man coverage, and then they start toasting you. Then it doesn't really matter what you're going to do. So schematically, it didn't look like the Titans were coming for Breeze. It looked like they were trying to play a defense against a different scheme that we never saw. And the only way I can kind of equate that is uh, to, to say, okay, that's what they were going to do against the Texans. And the only time you really saw them play a defense that fit the offense they were going against was when Taysom Hill came out and, you know, kind of did his wildcat thing. And one time they did really good and one time they didn't. So, you know, we didn't see a lot of that, but all in all, I, I'm I'm generally discouraged by the defense's performance over the last few like couple of months. But I, I take this with a grain of salt because I don't really think they were trying to stop the Saints. I think they were trying to stop the Texans. They just, you know, weren't playing the Texans. Yeah, and I think it's probably good that they did those things because it tells me or it again confirms what their attitude was in this game. They weren't They were trying to win. I'm not going to say they weren't trying to win. But that wasn't goal number one. And I think Vrabel is to be commended for that. Yeah, I mean, you know, you said you won't say that they weren't trying to win. I can definitely tell you that they weren't putting forth their best effort. Like, I mean, I think we can all say that when you don't play Henry, when you don't play Simmons, when you don't play anybody. Like, I think inherently you make your team believe that we're not playing anybody who's banged up so – you know, it's not a must-win game, so, you know, maybe try 90% or, or whatever. Like, even if you don't say it directly, I think you're sending that message to the team. But, like we talked about before, that's the right decision. When you've got one game that really matters and one game that really doesn't, it doesn't make sense to try to win both of those games equally. So, I mean, I think 
I think everything was done correctly, even as you know, unappetizing and unappealing as that is. So, uh, I, I just said something I wanted to commend uh, Vrabel on. Now I'm going to talk about something that I think Vrabel did that was totally <laughs> asinine. Let's go to the end of the first half. Titans have the ball with two minutes and four seconds on their own nine-yard line. Pretty quickly, they hit a, a 12 or 14-yard play to Tajay Sharp, get the ball out to just past the 20. Two-minute warning hits. Ball at the 23-yard line, three timeouts, two minutes to go. And what do the Titans do? They run off tackle three times with Deion Lewis and run the clock out. Like, Vrabel wants to talk all this big game about we're fast and aggressive. That wasn't fast and aggressive. That was like, I'm not going to say cowardly because I think that's a stupid term to use in football. It was sheepish. <laughs> and, and I asked yeah. him after the game, I said, I said, why did you do that? I didn't say it with that tone. I just said, you know, could you take me through the uh, decision-making? But that was what I was thinking in my head. And he said uh, they had timeouts too, and we didn't want to go three and out and kick back to Drew Brees where he would have three timeouts and they were getting the ball to start the second half. And I kind of knew that's what he would say. Um, it makes sense logically. I think it is a terrible approach. One, he's going to get the ball like five or six more times in the game, okay? Uh, you might get it in between those times, but Drew Brees is going to get the ball back. Um, I mean, it's... I am going to use the word cowardly. It's cowardly to run the clock out <laughs> with two minutes left when you have three timeouts. Like, I just – it totally perplexed me. Yeah, so uh, you've you've been very upset by this because this is not the first or the second time that I've seen you talk about this. Like, you're right. It, you know, it's, it's basically admitting defeat, and you're saying, like, the way our offense is structured right now – we can't beat the defense you're playing uh, playing against us, and we need a half to kind of discuss it like that. And that's what we'd seen for a quarter. Like uh, the Titans weren't moving the ball for you know the majority of uh, after the AJ Brown touchdown. So, I mean, I, I do kind of understand where he's coming from now. Obviously, like I'm sure he was thinking about it in a different way. Like I don't want to give them the ball and give them the opportunity to get momentum. But when you've got a chance to score points against the Saints, you have to take it. I mean, you have to be able to attack that, you know, especially in a two-minute when you see so much more soft coverage and all that. It, it was very frustrating to see. And in any other situation, like if you told me we're going to give Derrick Henry a couple of touches and then see where it goes from there, yeah, like that's that's fine because there's a chance that Derrick Henry could rip off a 25-yard, 30-yard gain, and then you're in business and you feel confident. But when you're giving it to Deion Lewis, who's basically a one-yard machine, it's it's very – I mean, you said like cowardly or whatever. Like, I mean, it's, it's just you don't have any confidence in what you've got on the field. And that's disappointing and it's disheartening because the strength of this team – is not the defense. It's the offense, and I hope Vrabel knows that. I hope I hope he knows that the more chances he gives the offense to succeed, the better. N not like necessarily it was under Marcus, which you know I don't. I'm obviously not a Marcus slander. That's not what I'm doing. But 
I think we all know that the game plans were much more conservative with him under center than with Tannehill because when you give Tannehill a chance to work outside of structure, it just works. But, yeah, I mean, calling that anything other than the spade is just lying to yourself and everybody you're talking to. So it's just – just say what it is. You weren't confident that your team could get, you know – five, six yards a touch, and at that point you were more afraid of making a mistake than you were, you know, uh, of trying to make a play. It's it's upsetting, but hopefully it's just a minor thing and we'll move on from it. Uh, before we get into previewing the Texans game, the win and end game, I want, there are a couple of maybe random topics I want to talk about and get to. Um, first, I want to talk about comeback player of the year. Because, Will, you and I, I think, disagree a little bit on that award. And really, rookie of the year to offensive rookie of the year. Let, let's start with comeback player, though. I, I, I'm assuming you think Ryan Tannehill should win that award, right? Uh, Yeah. Was, uh, before, like I'll say that I want Ryan Tannehill to win it. I want us to kind of discuss what that award means. Okay. Well, so, I mean, in tradition, it's like coming back from an injury, right? Well, I think traditionally it's who's a player that had a situation where everybody counted him out and then he came back and he produced it an elite or a high level. Yeah, so like uh, of, Adrian Peterson, I think, won after his ACL, right? Yeah, I know he yeah, won MVP a lot of quarterbacks after that. Too. Um, yeah, it's, Peyton it's Manning been, won. I think Tom, yeah, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning both won it after the year after they were injured. Eric Berry won after he had Hodgkin's lymphoma. Yeah, Philip Rivers won it one year because he was just a little bit better the next year, which was kind of a weird. It was just a kind of a down year for uh, the award, and there wasn't anybody that made sense. So they gave it to Philip Rivers because they felt like he had to deal with a lot the year before. It's it's a very I think something like six out of the last ten times it's been a quarterback that's won it. Yeah, and I think unlike you know offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, where the question is who had the best season, it's a little more up to the eye of the beholder and up for interpretation as to as you were kind of getting at what this award means. And I think we can probably agree on three finalists: that being Tannehill. Uh, quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo of the 49ers, and tight end Darren Waller of the Oakland Raiders. I, don't, I wouldn't foresee anyone other than those three winning. Yeah, if, if it's somebody else, I'm not sure who it would be. So Tannehill, let, let's start with Garoppolo because that's the easy one. Uh, played a couple games last year towards ACL, out for the year. The 49ers were totally worthless without him. Comes back this year fully healthy. Not having a great season. I don't think he made the Pro Bowl, did he? Oh, that's a good question. I have no idea. I would assume not. Why don't you look that up while I yeah, finish explaining his situation? Um, so remains to be seen if he's made the Pro Bowl, but uh, has led the 49ers to be the best team in the NFC, according to their record. They're playing extremely well. Uh, he hadn't had a great season, but he has been sort of the steadying force, of course, for their offense, and it would make sense for him to get the award for that reason. So so has did he make the Pro Bowl? Yeah, he was he was an alternate. So he okay. and Tannehill both got the same kind of okay uh, award, accolade. But so yeah. Darren Darren Waller is also an easy comeback to explain. Uh, spent a couple years in camps on rosters, uh, and then uh, had issues with uh, really debilitating drug addiction. He talked a lot about that if you watched Hard Knocks this year. Um, was able to get clean, get sober, 
and sort of really not just you know get clean, but really turn his life around. And he's come back for sort of a second chance at the NFL and has been the Oakland Raiders' best offensive player this season other than Josh Jacobs. He has been an incredibly reliable and efficient target for Derek Carr. He is a pro bowler. I believe he has over 1,000 receiving yards from the tight end spot, which is usually a pretty impressive accomplishment from that position. Uh, he's just had a really great year after coming back from some some pretty crappy life circumstances. Um, so that's another great comeback story. And I think someone tweeted at me today and was like, well, he was never good before he was addicted. So what is he coming back? What's the comeback? And my my retort to that is like, the Saints had a comeback win against the Titans yesterday. That doesn't mean that they were like ahead at one point, lost it, and then like returned to form. Right, because it's not the return to form award of the year. It's the comeback. You have something to come back from. His is just maybe a little different than we're used to. Yeah, so I think this is where we kind of disagree with the award. Like, and and I don't have a big problem with the way you explain it because I think Eric Berry's situation is kind of that. Like, when he won the award, it was he had an incredibly difficult circumstances handed to him in the middle of his All Pro potentially Hall of Fame career, and it. I mean, it affect. I mean, it affected him. He had you know non a non Hodgkin's lymphoma, I believe. So like he had a terrible, you know, not injury, a terrible medical issue. And, you know, he recovered, he came back, he played, he, you know, he looked like you should look like as an NFL safety. And he looked, he was definitely above average, especially at certain points in the year. So, I mean, I think his award was more, you know, half story, half on the field product. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at with Waller. But to me, I, I I just don't know how – when I look at the award, I look at, okay, which one of these players was good and, – and like I said, this is where we disagree – is which one of these players was good, then counted out, then came back from being counted out. That That's, that's where – when I think of comeback, I think you have to have somewhere to come back to. It's not like a breakout player of the year award. It's not like best story of the year award. It's you you were on a trajectory and then everybody thought that you had a chance to be great or you already were great or whatever. And then something happens that makes everybody all out. And then you win them back with such a terrific year that nobody can deny that, you know, you're back. And see, that's why I think is, and that's why I think is fun about this award. It's a good, I think, sports talk topic because, like, your definition of this award might differ from my definition of this award. And under your definition, Tannehill's probably the guy, right? Yeah, I mean, that's like you know, I've 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 talked about it before, and I've tweeted about it. He's on pace for or like the season he's had since being the starter equates to a 42 touchdown nine interception season with over 4,000 yards passing and he only throws the ball 28 times a game like he's exceptionally yeah, efficient he's, had a great year. he's yeah like he's if, if he had been playing like this all year it would be between him and Lamar Jackson for MVP and that's not conjecture that's just those yeah. are the two best quarterbacks on paper and who've had the best kind of records over that stretch so I mean, I still think Lamar would win it because he's more dynamic and can carry a team better than Tannehill probably can. But 
either way, like to go from being essentially the Dolphins had to beg the Titans to take him off their roster and had to eat millions and millions in cap space to make it happen to being a guy who's about to make, you know, high 20s, potentially $30 million a year in a new deal like that. I mean, he's about to, you know, increase his net worth 15 times over in a year. And for a quarterback, that it just so rarely happens. Yeah, I mean, my my kind of thing with it is I need two things. I need a hardship and I need a great season. And I think that Waller, for me, checks those boxes better than the other two. But this isn't something where, you know, you're right and you're wrong. Again, it's this is a very interpretive thing. Yeah, this this is definitely like a subjective, like, you're, I mean, I think Waller is a good candidate. Like, I mean, I think Garoppolo is, but really when I look at it, like, I think Waller has had the most unique circumstances to have basically an all-pro season that came out of nowhere. And then I think Tannehill is on the same page where it's just nobody thought he would ever be a starting quarterback again. And if he was a starting quarterback, it would be like a Ryan Fitzpatrick thing. But, I mean, it looks like it's so much more than that. So I think both guys have made a great case for it. And whoever doesn't get it, I think truly will have gotten snubbed because I think there's several other seasons where they would have won it. Yeah, but it's it's not it's not an award that everybody covets or anything like that. So it's not like they're going to be too hurt from it. But they both definitely have a chance to make it, and it's all it's all going to come down to whether the Titans make the playoffs and really kind of polish that season before all this voting officially like gets done or whatever, or if it's just the hard knocks kind of like inside feature yeah. on Waller kind of pushes him up because yeah, I, I do get what you're him. saying about like, it's not the feel good award of the year. You know, like that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. And like, there's certainly a place for that in the award. Like, I, I mean, I think, I think we all enjoy a good, like heartwarming story, like, you know, overcoming the odds and beating addiction and all that stuff. I don't, I don't think that's out of place. But I also think we just have to be careful in, you know, confusing this award with, like, the narrative of the year. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. We're going to take a quick break for one of our sponsors to talk to you. Actually, we'll be talking to you on behalf of one of our sponsors. Uh, when we come back from that, I'm going to tell you all and Will why I don't think A.J. Brown deserves to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. He, he certainly had a good season, but we're going to get into why I just don't think that he is the best for that. Will, you do think he is, right? I assume. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, we'll, absolutely. We'll, we'll have that discussion slash debate uh, in 30 <laughs> seconds. Okay, so, so here's my foundation for A.J. Brown not being Offensive Rookie of the Year. When it comes to me and Rookie of the Year awards, the first thing I do is I ask myself, Are there any rookies who have had a season to which I could say that was a great season, even if they weren't a rookie? For example, when Dak Prescott won, he he had a great record with the Cowboys, a terrific touchdown-to-interception ratio. They weren't really babying him a whole ton. He was really effective off of that that play action that Zeke Elliott set up for him. Like That is an objectively great season for a quarterback, regardless if it's a rookie quarterback or a 10-year veteran. Sometimes you don't have that, and so you have to default to, okay, who had the season where we're like, that was really good for a rookie? 
This year, I think we do have that on the offensive side of the ball, and I think it's Josh Jacobs of the Raiders. I don't think that A.J. Brown falls under that. A.J. Brown has been good, don't get me wrong, and he's got a lot of potential. But what A.J. Brown has had is like three or four really good games at the end while in the early parts of the season making some big plays here and there. And the result is, with a good showing next week against the Texans, he could get to 1,000 yards. So, I am hesitant, having watched A.J. Brown every game, to say... He has had an objectively great season. I am still with him in the realm of, he's been pretty good for a rookie, or he's been really good for a rookie. I don't think he's been objectively good yet, and I think Jacobs has for the Raiders. He's the whole reason that they're still alive in the playoff race, other than Waller. Yeah, so Jacobs is great. Like, I don't have any issue with that. Like, what's going to hurt him just in general, like, is, you know, he's kind of banged up. Like, the offense really doesn't uh, – isn't exciting, which which all kind of hurts his case. To me, what hurts his case, I guess, more than anything is, like, yeah, like, he's, he's leading all rookies in rushing. Like, that's great. He's got 1,150 yards. Okay, since 2010 – there's been 13 different running backs with a thousand yards or more. Like just, just talking about rushing yards and production. Uh huh. If he, if he breaks 1200 yards, which I think we expect that still puts him seventh in the last decade behind Ezekiel Elliott. Great. Alfred Morris. Not great. Doug Martin. Not great. Kareem hunt. Fine. Jordan Howard. Fine. And Saquon Barkley. So, I think it's easier to run an offense through a running back and get him those numbers yeah. than it is to get a, a wide receiver because you have to have – I mean, if you have one missed tackle against a running back like Jacobs who's so athletic and big, then you are you know, you get a 60-yard run or you get a 40-yard run or you, know, you can get those big chunk plays. To get a 40-yard pass, you usually have to have – a wide receiver get enough separation, catch the ball. It has to be a good pass, you know, enough to where you don't have to completely yeah. stop. You've got to have good protection. So it's it's just to me, it's more rare. So like for example, since in that same span, there's only been seven rookies with a, a thousand yards or more receiving, and that's Odell Beckham, Michael Thomas, Amari Cooper, AJ Green, Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, and Kelvin ben- Kelvin Benjamin, and he barely got it. So Really, six of those seven rookies who've had a thousand or more yards have been in pass-heavy offenses, and they've turned out to be great players. So, I think when you look historically, I think it's more impressive what AJ Brown is doing. Not only because of the numbers he's putting up, but these are okay. So, just in terms of the percent of snaps played, his first four games of the season is. 42 snap 40, 42% sorry 46% 49% 42%. So he didn't even play half the offensive snaps for the first month of the season. Then you go on and it's 64%, 58, 63, 61. Again, he's not touching 65% in the first half of his year and four of the, or sorry six of those games he's playing with Marcus Mariota quarterback and they're not throwing the ball that much. So and then, like I said earlier, Tannehill's only throwing it on average twenty-eight times a start anyway. So 
to do that and to get as few targets as he's gotten, but to produce at the level he's producing at, to me, it, it, it projects such an incredible athlete and player that if you really like, if you really look at all the situations surrounding AJ Brown compared to the situation surrounding uh, Josh Jacobs, who the Raiders went out and got uh, Richie Incognito. They had Rodney Hudson already, who's all everything center. They brought in Trent Brown from the Patriots, who I think was an all pro or a pro bowler the year before they invested a first round pick in an offensive tackle the year before that. Like they've committed as many resources as they could to the offensive line. And that, that offense is based off run and short passes, run and short passes. So it's more like to me that the offense is being filtered through Jacobs, who's an, a great talent and he's very athletic, but the offense didn't start out, you know, being funneled through AJ Brown, and really he didn't get a significant market share of the targets until two or three weeks ago. And then, you know, since then, all he's done is have hundred yard game after a hundred yard game when he's not being shadowed by one of the best five corners in the league. So that's my case for AJ Brown is I just think what he's done, especially on a team that's never had good wide receivers and has never made an effort to get wide receivers the ball. I think it's just so impressive. I, I do agree with your point, especially about Jacobs having the offense funneled through him. My biggest thing is, is just the consistency. Because there were times where he was good with Mariota, right? The, the Falcons game, the first game of the season. Uh, and I think there's certainly been some inconsistency with Tannehill. I don't know. I, I, again, back, like the comeback player award, I'm not saying, oh, A.J. Brown just doesn't deserve this. If he gets it, it'll be a sham. No, like he, he's had a, a season probably worthy of this award. My preference is just probably Jacobs for the reasons I outlined. Yeah, and, and like I said, like it it's no you know, no slight to Jacobs. Jacobs is a really good player. He's incredibly athletic. Like I mean, Dean Peace said, I, I've never heard him say this about a, certainly a rookie. He said, you know, there are bigger names around the league than Josh Jacobs, but there's not a better back. Yeah, and and I think we've seen that a lot with young running backs where it's like you come into the league and you're able to make such a big splash early because really like I mean there's nuances in pass protection but really the most the, the most difficult part is getting behind a good offensive line and I think I think that's part of the reason he's been so successful but you can't deny that when he's got the ball in space or when he's lowering his shoulder pads and running like fans wanted Derrick Henry to run for the first 2 years of his career like that that's a different animal and th- there's a lot to be said about that I want to get into briefly your beef with Jim Wyatt on Twitter Take, take us through that. Yeah, that's weird. Don't right? spend, don't spend long on it, but but sort of take yeah. us through in a minute or so. So, I'm I'm a big Jim Wyatt fan. I I think there are few people out there that aren't. who yeah, like who don't think he's one if nothing else, one of the most interesting and I, I don't know how else to say. He's very interesting. He's well thought out. He does think he does things that I like to read and I enjoy the content he produces. So, you know, <laughs> the, the other day, uh, the Titans cut Sharif Finch to bring in Dalen Dawkins to basically fill out a roster number. And I 
Don't get into the fin- don't get into the Finch stuff. Well, that's for another time. We can talk about that later. Okay. So okay. So anyway, uh, I I basically say that I think he should be there. Uh, they shouldn't have cut him. And somebody refers me to like a Jim White article where he asked. Uh, it was like his Q and A mailbag, and he says, you know, uh, Finch hadn't practiced well enough. Blah blah blah. Basically saying that Finch isn't good enough to be on the team and that he's getting yeah. outplayed in practice. The tone to- was like, you know. Yeah, he's not getting he's not active, but I mean, when he has been active, he's not really showing up. That's what I gathered from that. Yeah, which is wrong. Um I but, don't know about that. We will okay, we'll so argue about that's, that some other time. Yeah, so you can say we really do need to argue about that another time because I just did a thousand word article on how he was one of the Titans more effective pass rushers. But anyway, uh so he has two sacks and you know, he has two sacks in the first three games and then he starts being inactive and so uh, Jim White kind of says that he's not showing enough in practice to get back on the field. Okay, that's that's weird, but whatever. And that this happens a day before they cut him, and somebody uses this as like, well, this might be why they cut Finch is because he's not doing well in practice. To which I said something that Jim White has said on the OTP podcast, which I don't believe that either Matias or Luke listened to. I don't know, but I know there are some people who no. don't find it very interesting because – it's it's the official Titans podcast. It is by the company. It is, you know, they're they're not going to criticize people, which is fine. That they're they shouldn't. They're employees. Like that's what that's not what their job entails. So I said that it doesn't make sense for him to go against you know another member of his organization and say that you know Vrabel should be playing him because he's not. There's no there's no money in that. It doesn't make any sense. And you know. At, I just a tweet. I didn't think about it. I sent it, and Jim White uh, did not find it to find that. Uh, I guess fair, and so he, you know, w- w- he got kind of uh, upset and bristled at it, whatever. And then fast forward to the game, and Roberson gets his first sack. Cool. Everybody's excited. I was as big a Roberson fan as anybody pre-draft, and you know. And so <laughs> Jim White tweets out like basically like, wow, isn't Roberson better than Finch or <laughs> something to that effect? <laughs> and and that's me like like I Wait, he I did. Guess, I didn't see yeah. that. So he adds me. Yeah. And I'm like, OK. And so the next play or not the next play uh, <laughs> later, Kamala Correa rushes up field and just stops and just stands there and watches Drew Brees throw a pass uh, to Jared Cook, who takes it to takes it for a touchdown. And I I tweeted at him and said, "Wouldn't it be nice to have Finch there instead of Correa?" And there's no response or anything, obviously. But and and I think that's the last time I added him about it. But the thing is, is like I I definitely meant no offense, but the idea that he hasn't said it himself that he's, you know, he works for the Titans and he said he doesn't pursue stories like he used to when he was at the Tennessee end because there's no, that, that's not his job anymore. It, you know, so I, I don't, I was surprised that that was his reaction and he came directly at me. So I think it's fair to say that, you know, there are other players on the team who maybe Finch should be, should have been ahead of. And the Bengals agree because they took him with the number one waiver priority off waivers today. So 
I don't know. I think it was a very strange thing to bristle up at, and I I think he's wrong, but I guess we'll just see. Man, I just found that tweet. Somehow I missed that yesterday. Um, <laughs> man, this is hysterical. Yeah, which, by the way, uh, I guess since we're kind of talking about it, uh, the reason I didn't keep going after Jim White is because in the DMs, Luke told me to, like, it's like, uh, be, like, don't go at Jim. Like, like he's basically saying, like, you, like, drop it. Like, because I guess he thought I was just, like, just trying to pick a fight when I was just responding to the latest thing. So, I mean, that's something we could have done all game. And it, you know, the conversation got awfully quiet. But, I mean, it, it just is what it is. <laughs> I love Jim Wyatt. Yeah, well, I do putting you like, in your place. Yeah, I it was I I do love the fact that you know he gets people trash him in the mailbag like it's nobody's bit like they they say stuff and they're like I hate this team and this that and other and like I'm like I don't know why you would disagree with your boss it doesn't make sense but I still think I'm right and he like adds me on Twitter like all right man <laughs> it's cool last topic before stop the nonsense can the Titans win this week I, I think they can. And it's, it's due to one thing, and it's that the Texans have nothing to play for. And even if they play their starters, they won't have an attitude of, you know, must win. It's just like that Jags game a couple years ago. The Jags were clearly a better team than the Titans, but the Titans won because the Jags had nothing to play for. And it was just kind of like, well, we're going to mess around a little bit. And if it, we start to get behind, we'll just kind of make business decisions because all we really care about is the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, the Titans are <laughs> – I mean, I don't want to say they're a better team because they just lost to them. But, well, I mean, that's also super debatable. But they did just barely squeak by a win after Jameis Winston threw them four interceptions and they had, a, a, like, another fumble recovery or two. Like, the Texans aren't a powerhouse team. They just happened to have an easier schedule and they were healthier at the right times. They got Will Fuller back just as the Titans, like, lost – Derrick Henry essentially like or at least lost the 100% version of him but yeah I mean the Titans absolutely have a chance with the offense playing the way it is now if the defense can just get a few stops in a game or a turnover or two like they should be able to compete and play but you know they've got to do more than they did in the first meetup where they waited until they got to the one yard line to get turnovers or you know, you can't sit back on your heels and just let them dictate yeah. coverage to you. Like yeah, T- Tannehill was asked yesterday, uh, what do you need to do differently this week versus the last time? And first thing out of his mouth, he said, we got to start faster. And that's absolutely the right answer. Yeah, and but I mean, even if you think about it, like they should have had a touchdown in the second quarter, like the start of the second quarter, but Ferkser got the ball knocked out in a freak play and it turned, you know, we've talked about it a ton covering that game, but it turned into a 14 point swing and the offense doesn't need to do anything different except do their jobs a little bit tighter and with a little bit more urgency. The offense is scoring 32 points a game since Tannehill has been in there. They're not the problem. It's the defense allowing, you know, 28 points a game, something like definitely bottom 10. Like they've got to figure something out and it can't just be that, Oh, especially if a Dory Jackson comes back, but it can't just be, Oh, you know, we're missing Malcolm Butler, so it's okay that we allow 30 points a game. It's not acceptable. Like you exactly. cannot, you cannot allow teams to run roughshod over you and have no, seemingly no game plan, 
have no like, okay, we're going to go after him strategy and just rush four and play cover two and cover one and all that kind of stuff. And then just get toasted when you're in man, like you've got to have a better game plan. You've got to match up with receivers better, especially since Will Fuller is out this week. There's only one real target on that team. You've just got to make sure you can stop the run better than you did last time and just don't let Hopkins tear you up. And then when you're watching the crossers, just don't let stills run completely free. Like, I mean, it sounds easy. It's obviously not. They're high level athletes. It's just, you, there's got to be a point where Dean Pease decides to flip the switch and be aggressive because right now Arthur Smith is the best coach on that team, and I did not think I would be saying that at any point this season, but that's just what we're seeing on the field. And I think they're probably going to get a Dory Jackson back this week. That helps a lot. You don't have to rely as much on Tremaine Brock. who He's been fine. Don't get me wrong. Like He's kind of been a godsend in a way, but I mean he's not a Dory Jackson. Uh, let's get to Stop the Nonsense. Will, take take it away. Yeah, so I don't have a specific tweet because I think this is something that needs to be addressed, and I'm not sure if I've ever addressed it on the podcast, but the most frustrating thing as a, as a Titans season ticket holder since I was very young, there's something that they haven't always done but that they've started to do, and it's making me furious, is for whatever reason – they will show highlights from other AFC South teams on the Jumbotron. And this isn't yes. somebody getting sacked against the Jaguars. It's not the Colts throwing an interception. It's positive plays by the Colts, by the Jaguars, and by the Texans. And they show those exclusively. They don't show any negative plays they run. <laughs> they don't show any touchdowns against them. It is mind-numbingly bad decision-making. I don't understand it. So, for example, uh, Sunday's game, the biggest game of the year for the Titans at this point is the Jets versus the Steelers. Not only was there no announcement made or no highlight of any touchdown or any play from that game, instead we got I got to watch Minshew throw a touchdown versus Atlanta, and I got to see uh, the first punt return in forever for the Colts. Like, I should not be seeing that when the most important game to us is the Steelers who were losing the whole game to the Jets. There wasn't a ticker up that I saw. There wasn't a play-by-play. There was nothing indicating that. And I don't know if that's because Vrabel and Robinson said, I don't want our players distracted or whatever. But even Well, they they didn't show the score. I know that. Yeah, like – I, I noticed that too, and which is aggravating for fans because the the uh, Wi-Fi. And but I get it if Vrabel did say that, like it makes sense. Like we don't want to be distracted. Yeah. We want to focus on the task at hand. Yeah, but that but that's why my stop the nonsense isn't. You should show that game. It's at the very why, least. Why, why are you don't showing show those highlights yeah. of yeah of division rivals? I don't I don't understand that. I don't understand why this team as a whole, from public relations down, is like. We need to pump up everybody else in the AFC South so much. So that it, when it we lose to bad. them, <laughs> yeah, that's it exactly, looks better. It, it screams of desperation. It, it's, it's, uh, it's, it screams of, we know that we're going to lose to this team at some point, so we're going to show you stuff now so that you can say, well, 
remember, we saw DJ Chark catch a touchdown pass in week seven. So it makes sense that we lost to the Jaguars. Like, that's not – you should treat the opposing team with no respect if you're the fan base because you're not going to be given any respect back. But that that's my stop the nonsense is quit showing rivals highlights. So so mine is twofold. Um, first of all, to start, I want to talk about the tw- about the Twitter app. So you know when you hit the search button on the Twitter app, it takes you to like the news section for, for before you put in what you want to search for, right? So what always happens to me is I'm I'll be going to search for something like a, a specific tweet or an account. And a news story will pop up that I'm interested by. For example, the one I'm looking at right now is from the NFL, Ian Rappaport, about Marshawn Lynch maybe going back to the Seahawks. So what will happen all the time is I'll go in, I'll hit that search button, and right as I hit that search button, I realize, like, oh, that was an interesting piece of news. I want want to click on that. But then I go back to click on it, and, like, the slideshow has gone to the next thing, and there's no option to go back. And, and that's sort of minor, I guess, but, like, that has always bugged me. And all the time I'll see interesting things on that news thing, but I'm too late, and I can't go back. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah, I was, I was just going to jump in and say it's the most frustrating thing in the world to catch something interesting and then to never be able to follow up on it. Exactly. It's, it's, like, it's like if somebody said, you know, it's like, uh, Trump impeachment stuff, and you're like, oh, that's weird. I'm going to click on that. And then they said, like, look at this diagram of a Titans pass rush scheme. And I'm like, yes. oh, I want to click on that. And then it's gone forever. And I'm yeah. like, I don't. I didn't see the account that tweeted it. I didn't see any keywords that I could search it by. All I saw was a generic title and a picture that interested me. And before I could adjust, I clicked yeah. on the wrong thing and never had another chance. So my second one is just a string of replies I saw yesterday. So Carl Anthony Towns, the basketball player, <laughs> tweets, uh, hey, Titans, I need a Tajay Sharp jersey. ASAP, hashtag jersey. Uh, apparently Towns and Sharp grew up around the same area of New Jersey. Um, okay. and, and Tajay caught two touchdowns yesterday. And, and so the Titans tweet, we got you. Presumably they're going to send him a Tajay Sharp jersey, likely one that is signed. All these responses. Oh, so he just going to get one for free? I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure he can just buy one at NFLshop.com. You make $27 million a year, dude. Go buy one online. So you can't hand out t-shirts for Code Blue, but you can send a millionaire a Tajay Sharp jersey? That's a good let, point. Let me give you guys a marketing lesson. If I buy a Dak Prescott jersey, for example, the marketing benefit to the Cowboys of that is very, very little. If Carl Anthony Towns is seen in a picture wearing a Tajay Sharp jersey, do you know how much theoretical money that makes the Titans? So, yeah, they're going to send him this free jersey that they might they might lose the, like, $30 that Nike paid to make that jersey. But you know what? They're going to get more out of it. So, no, the Titans are not going to send you, Joe Schmo, a Tajay Sharp, or any other player jersey because they're not going to make money from that. But they're going to make money and get a lot of attention, perhaps needed attention, from Carl Anthony Towns wearing a Tajay Sharp jersey. Uh, it's so funny to me. Like These people just get mad for anything. <laughs> people... People want everything, and they want it for free, and yes. they want it as fast and as easy as they can get it. But, but like, they don't want anyone else to get anything for free. Yeah, like, but 
like you're not happy for anybody else if they get what you want. But the whole thing, it's like, you know, brand ambassadors and like, like people who are sponsored and all that stuff. All they are is walking billboards for the companies exactly. that they're doing. like. That that's, you know, that's why nobody cares if you give them, you know, a jersey or whatever. Like because, like you said, like it makes them money. The reason why it matters to you is because you would pay money for that jersey, and it doesn't make any sense for them to give you that product for free when you will pay them for the same product. Like it's like that thirty second ad break we do. We get paid to do those ad breaks. Because people listen to our show, we have loyal listeners, and people are going to hear whatever ad we give you. No one would just pay me to go talk to my buddies about you know, whatever we're advertising that day. Because there's yeah, no value like I, in that. It's the same yeah. principle. We couldn't just like go out and yell on the street and just email Campbell Soup and say, like, hey, like, I don't know if you heard me, but I did just yell Campbell Soup on the street. So if y'all can go ahead and Ven me, Venmo me 20 why, bucks. Why can't I get paid for talking about Anchor <laughs> Podcasting? <laughs> like, y'all must hate like the Kardashians and Jenners and all those, those people. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it's, I mean, I don't know. That's, those are crazy replies. I, I don't, I don't know how you can deal with those, but. <laughs> Thank goodness our loyal listeners would never do yes. that because y'all are the greatest people in the world. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, happy holidays. If you don't celebrate Christmas, if you do, Merry Christmas. Uh, we do appreciate all of you tuning in every week. Uh, but that's it for us for this week. Winning in next week for the Titans. And if they lose and the Steelers lose, they're still in. Uh, for Matias, who's not here, and Will, who is, I'm Luke Worsham, reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. <laughs>